it's quite something um, sharing a stage with, uh, with John. I, I remember singing out the words of treasure at Crowded House nightclub in Maritzburg. <laughs> Staring at my wife, now wife, and you know she was my treasure, and and looking around, and everyone was doing the same, and the, and and everyone was rocking to that song. But how amazing is that? Because eh? when you actually reflect on those words, they're amazing, and yet the secular world embraced them, and and we were we were praising God, and we didn't even realise it. So well done. Um, so I, I mentioned the other week uh, when I did announcements, I gatecrashed the women's conference not so long ago, and John was one of the speakers. And um, w- when I saw how Lisa Bobbitt threw herself at him <laughs> on stage, it, it was amazing. I, it must be a celebrity kind of thing. So I'm kind of hoping that by sharing the stage with John, I might get a similar sort of response <laughs> from my wife, of course, from my wife, not the rest of you. No, it is, it is indeed a privilege, so thank you for sharing with us. It's great. Um, yeah, so as Nat mentioned, we, we're in this um, re- relationship series, and we're in the, we're in the final week. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to summarize what, what has gone before. Um, you are welcome to listen to the podcasts. There have been some really great um, teachings and, and preachers around this topic. But basically, in a nutshell... Relationships can be hard. Tricky. Tricky is a word we prefer to use up here on the North Coast. Relationships can be tricky. Um, but they are very important. Um, and we need to take a, and, and have a kingdom perspective on, on relationships. So this week we're going to talk about friendships. Um, so do us a favor. Look to the person next to you and say, buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> and if they're a friend... Even more so, now turn to them and say, I, I still love you. I still love you. Yeah. Yeah, tricky topic. Anyway, so the question is, do, do your friends actually like you? Or is it just the way you make them feel? Um, are the people we give our time and attention to really that important? Um, or are we actually more interested in what we can get from our, our friends? and what we can get out of them. Are you a good friend? Um, Do you have good friendships? Do you want good friendships? So what is friendship, actually? So I I did a little bit of um, searching on the internet, and uh, I found a few definitions for friendship. So here goes. A person with whom one has a bond of mutual affection, typically one exclusive of sexual or family relations, a person you know well and like a lot, but who is usually not a member of your family, a person with whom one has a bond of mutual affection, typically one exclusive of sexual or family relations, and then it, and then it sort of drifts and, and, and splits and, and goes into a few different directions. An acquaintance, one who is not hostile. Um, one that is of the same nation, party, or group. And there are a whole bunch of definitions for friendship. By the way, the Urban Dictionary is not where you should go if you want to find out what something means. That's, yeah, uh, that's a little dangerous, I found out. Um, but what we want to explore in today, in particular, is what is godly friendship? What, you know, what is God's definition of, of friendship? And, uh, and, and have a, a deeper look into that. So I, I haven't always found friendships easy. Um, 
you know, there, there are people out there who I want to be friends with a lot more than they want to be friends with me. I, I have friendships that I feel are one-sided, um, where I feel like I put in all the effort. In fact, at times, I would run little experiments with my friends. I would, I would say, if I don't contact this person, let's see how long it takes them to contact me. I'm still waiting for, for some of them. In fact, I, I ran this little experiment with Terry. Uh, we were friends at Varsity, k- kissing friends. Uh, we were dating at Varsity, first year. And I felt like I just wasn't feeling the love. I, I felt like it was a bit one-sided. So I ran my phone experiment, and a whole week went by. You know, we were dating. A whole week went past. She didn't even make contact with me. In those days, granted, we didn't have cell phones, so it was ticky box, you know, like a bit of effort required to, to make contact. But a whole week went past. So once I built up some Dutch courage at Crowded House again, that was our, our jaw, I confronted her about this lack of communication. And she's like, oh, I didn't even realize. I don't know what you're talking about. Like. And then she went off and carried on chilling with her friends. You see... We wanted different things out of our relationship at that point in time. But I was very mature. (laughs) I've been really disappointed by friends and let down by them. Um, I remember one time at high school, I called someone who I considered a friend of mine, albeit a, a newish friend, by his nickname. And he turned around to me and he said, my friends call me by that name, please don't call me that. And it, it was hard. Like, it, I was like, why, why would you say that to someone? That's so horrible. <laughs> um, on another occasion, I introduced a friend of mine to another long-term friend of mine. And I then found out down the line that these two friends had connected and, and, and he had been invited on a, on a trip to go somewhere um, to do a thing that I actually really enjoyed doing. And I'd also done with this guy once before, but now I was out of the picture. It was like he liked that person more than me. And I remember feeling flip, like that's, that's hurtful. I, I like, do I not add any value? You know, I'm not, I don't, he doesn't want me around. He obviously likes this other oak uh, more than me. And, and then there are, are all the insecurities that, that we have in our friendships or that I have in my friendships that, that still plague me to this day. Just this last weekend, I went away on a, on a men's weekend away. Um, there was a crowd of us, some of which I considered to be my friends. But they're, they're sort of in that crowd, at least in my own mind, of I want to be their friends more than they want to be my friends. And on my way up there, I felt this like low-level anxiety. And I, I, just, I felt it, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I don't know what it was, so I, I started processing it with God. And what I realized is that, you see, these guys, they're they, what one might call prat. The Afrikaans word describes it best. There's like a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And I found myself falling into this performance trap of I need to meet their requirements of what's right and wrong. And I had this anxiety around this, like what I was wasn't going to be good enough, so I had to make sure that I performed or I did the right thing or said the right things. And it was completely in my head. Like they weren't telling me this. This was what I had I'd made up. Um, it's a little embarrassing actually admitting that, but that was my reality. But before you think that I'm a complete victim in my friendships, (laughs) I'm also very aware of the fact that I have let people down and I've upset people, knowingly and unknowingly. In fact, just recently, a friend of mine, one of my best friends, phoned me 
over two weeks ago. I still haven't phoned him back. Babs, please remind me to phone Flyman back. That poor oak is sitting there stewing, thinking I don't, I don't love him. So the question is, what makes relationships difficult for you? You know, do you relate to any of these stories that I'm that I'm that I've shared with you? Um, do you have expectations of friends that they are just not able to meet? Okay, I know this is a little tricky because your friend might actually be sitting next to you, so you don't have to nod and carry on. You can just like open your eyes or, or do something like that, so I can get some feedback. You know, some some encouragement. <laughs> um, have you ever been let down by a friend? No. Um, do you have anxiety around friendships? Do you question your value or your worthiness in friendships? Does that person even like me? Have you ever let a friend down, not been there for a friend when they really needed you? Um, or are your friendships just about what you can get out of them? Um, maybe that friend with a beach cottage, you know, maybe you get invited to the beach cottage for the weekend, or someone who's got a great business network. Um, or maybe they're a cool oak, so they'll give you credibility, whatever the, the case might be. But irrespective of whether you have good friendships or not, I suppose an even bigger question is, are friends important? Are they, you know, what everyone says they are? You know, I've got loads of Facebook friends. Does that count? Well, let's see what God has to say about friendship. There actually isn't that much direct teaching on friendships. There's lots of reference to friendship. There's advice around friendship. Um, and there are obviously stories in the Bible of friendships that we can, we can learn from. But I think first and foremost, what we need to do is look at Jesus, because we're asked to imitate Jesus on earth, aren't we? And, um, and even Jesus had friends. He had his, he had his three, uh, Peter, James, and John, his, his really close buddies. Then he had his 12 disciples, and then there were the 72, and each layer of friendship had different layers of, levels of access and intimacy with him. And what we also can see when we study Jesus is that Jesus picked his friends. Um, John 15, verse 16, says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. So there's an element of us needing to pick our friends um, or taking responsibility for our friendships. Um, in the Proverbs, one finds some good advice about how to pick friends. Proverbs 18.24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 22, verse 24, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Then in 1 Corinthians 15.33, so stop fooling yourselves. Evil companions will corrupt good morals and character. So there's some good advice around how to pick friends. And then there's some information about what a blessing friendships can be. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 to 12, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls who has no one to help them. Also, if two lie down together, uh, but that's uh, your husband-wife friendship, um, <laughs> they will keep warm, but how can one um, warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can define themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken, the third strand being God in that friendship, I believe. 
And then in Proverbs 17, 17, a dear friend, friend will love you no matter what. And a family sticks together through all kinds of trouble. And then, of course, if we, if we look at the characters in the Bible, um, we can learn from their stories of how they demonstrated friendship. Uh, the ones that come to mind include Ruth and Naomi, Moses and Aaron, and then David and Jonathan, and we'll touch on that a little bit later on. And then finally, I, I believe something that um, really shows us and tells us a bit about God's intention for, for, for friendship and relationships in general is that God is a relational God. And I believe that he has wired us for all types of relationships, whether they're marriages, friends, brothers, sisters, parents, mentors. And, and he's also created us in such a way that our greatest human need is love. And where do we get that from apart from God? We get it from our relationships. There is a movie called The Wild. Um, it's got a soundtrack by Eddie Vedder, the... Um, lead singer of Pearl Jam. Um, he was the song I was singing just after Treasure at the nightclub um, with Nirvana and some, some others like that. <laughs> um, but this movie illustrates this fundamental human need. There, there's this guy, and I might not do this completely justice, but you'll, you'll get the gist of it. There's this guy who decides he wants to check out from life. He wants to go live on his own. And he finds himself in an old deserted school bus in Alaska and oh, everything's going well. He's enjoying the solitude. He's enjoying nature. But it slowly starts to degrade. His experience starts to degrade. And he actually ends up, after only 100 days of, of starting to lose his mind, and, because he had no human interaction. He had no companionship. He had no relationships out there. And then he eats a plant which he thought was edible, but it was poisonous, and he becomes delusional. And he realizes then that he actually this whole being on your own thing is actually not so lacquer, after all. But then he can't get out because the snow has melted and the rivers are up, and he can't get out, and he dies. He dies in his deserted school bus. But it's just a great illustration from a secular point of view of how we have a need for connection, we have a need for relationship. Um, and as such, I believe that, that relationships and friendships are an integral part of God's redemptive plans for our lives, for this earth. After family, friendships are, I believe, the next building block in communities. And uh, this church and all churches, which are God's communities, um, require friendships as a building block. I would argue that the body of Christ um, would look a lot different and is directly impacted by the quality of friendships. So I think it's safe to say that friendships are important and they form part of God's plan. Um, and your friendships might be all sorted, and that's great. I say praise the Lord and well done. Um, you can't leave just yet. But maybe your friendship's not. You know, maybe you're actually a pretty rubbish friend. Um, maybe you long for deeper, more meaningful friendships. Perhaps in spite of your thousand Facebook friends, you're actually pretty lonely. Um, maybe you long for just one good friend. So just a, a few side notes at this point. I, I don't think that, we, that you should or could be friends with everyone. I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's sustainable. Um, you know, if you look at Jesus, he had his three, then his 12 it might look different for you. You might have five, I don't know, close friends. Uh, but you don't, I don't think it's possible to be friends, and, and it's definitely not possible to be friends with everyone. How do you go about finding friends and choosing friends? I actually have no idea. 
I, I don't think there's a magic formula. It's love. I love formulas. I love methods. And I don't think there is a, a silver bullet when it comes to this. But I do know this. God is good. And he wants us to have good friendships so he can help us find good friends. And that might look different for each and every one of you. And then the question which is bound to come up in your mind is, what about non-Christian friends? Are they important? Notwithstanding the warnings that we're given in Proverbs about your selection of friends, I do think non-Christian friends are very important. You know, we called to, you know, we are called to, to bring people back to their father. Um, and, and one of the ways is through relationships. In fact, I would argue it's one of the most important ways is through relationships. So I do think it's healthy to have non-Christian friends. But I don't think non-Christian friends are a sub, should be a substitute for good, healthy Christian friendships. And we'll get into that in a little bit more detail. Okay, side notes over. Why are friendships difficult? I think fundamentally the reason why friendships are difficult is because they're so important. And, and as such, I think the enemy goes after them. I think the enemy goes after friendships. I the enemy doesn't want us to have good friendships. So I think fundamentally that is why there's so much opposition to them and why we find them difficult. But here's what I really have conviction over. I think that our friendships hold the potential or the opportunity to highlight, if we're brave enough to go there, areas of our lives where we are not completely whole. I believe that friendships are part of our discipleship journey, a vital ingredient of our sanctification process. Proverbs 27:17 As iron sharpens iron so one person sharpens another. And I think this is at the core or the crux of good healthy Christian friendships. You see friendships bring two flawed humans together. With all our wounds and our baggage and our skeletons and our blind spots and you can you can list a whole bunch of different things and we rub and we chafe against one another in ways that we don't always like. They're uncomfortable and they're awkward. We let, we let each other down. We have unrealistic expectations of one another. We react and we, we, we become offended easily. It's very easy to blame the other. That's a great thing. You, know, you become a victim and, and, and we, it's very easy to blame them. And even when we know we're in the wrong, it's difficult to apologize because we, we've got pride or whatever the case might be. But this is what I've come to realize about my own friendships, is that I'm actually the only person to blame for my friendship issues. And I'm actually the only person who has the control or the ability to change my friendship issues. The type of friend I am, the way I respond to how my friends treat me, the way I view friendships, it is all within my control and only my control. And for me, this was actually an incredibly liberating thing to realize. See, what I realized about myself is, is that the majority of my friendship issues centered on a flawed belief system, a set of lies that I carried and I believed to be true. I believed that my value or lack thereof in the friendship space was linked to my performance. I alluded to it earlier when I shared that story about the trip that I've just been on. I believe that I was only likable if I met certain standards, if I performed in a certain way, if I said the right things, if I was funny enough, if I was 
a whole lot of things, a whole lot of things that I had placed on myself in terms of what I thought my friends wanted or needed. What it ultimately boiled down to for me was identity and value. My identity was wrapped up in the what I was rather than the who I was. So I kept disqualifying myself in friendships. When I was let down by someone, I'd agree with the lives and I'd beat myself up. You see, I don't add value. I'm not a good friend. I'm not likable. They don't want to have me around. I don't offer anything to them. This is a world view of friendship that is communicated to us from the moment we open our eyes. It's reinforced through school and, and, and in every other facet of life. It's the performance equals value. And I had fallen into that trap in terms of my friendships. Look, make no mistake, this is a complex, a complex issue. And... Um, there are, there are strong spiritual components to it, but I really believe that it is at the heart of um, what maturing as a Christian is, is actually all about. It is at the heart of seeking after God and the plans and purposes that he has for your life. It is at the heart of being discipled and becoming a disciple. For me, it was about realizing and constantly reminding myself that God created me and God doesn't make mistakes that my life has value, not for what I am, but for who I am. This is what having a relationship with God is actually all about, of becoming secure in your relationship with God and your identity in Him above all things. For you, it might be unrealistic expectations that you place on your friends. You must probably expecting your friends to meet needs that actually only God can meet. And even when your friends do let you down, and oh, and by the way, they will, that's a given, they're going to let you down, if you're secure enough in your own identity and your own value in, in Christ, you're going to be able to love your friends through their bad behavior, through their wobbles and their difficult times. And if your friends have unrealistic expectations of you, if you're secure in who you are in Christ, you're going to be able to put up healthy boundaries because your job is not to fix your friends. They might want you to. They might want you to come in and solve all their problems, but that's not your job. Your job or your responsibility is to love them, is to empathize with them. It's not to fix them. And if you're secure in Christ, you can do that. You can do that healthily. You can't control them. They can only do that with Jesus. Maybe you're selfish. We're all a bit selfish. It's a human condition. Maybe you have blind spots, triggers, wounds. I, I don't know. I, I don't know your story, but if you encounter relationship or friendship issues that keep repeating themselves, here's what I'd like to suggest. There will be something at the root of your friendship problems that God wants to free you from. When you next encounter an issue, rather than apportioning blame or beating yourself up, take your situation to God and ask God to help you to get to the root cause of the issue. You may need help in this journey. You may need counseling. You may need deliverance. You may need prayer. You may need a Holy Spirit encounter that can free you from that in an instant. But you might need a journey. It's not a one-size-fits-all process. But my encouragement to you is take responsibility, take it to God, and be willing to go on a journey. Jesus didn't just die on the cross to free us from the law at the time. 
When Jesus shouted, it is finished, as he was dying, his last words, it means that we, we, get, we as Christians are set free from sin and its consequences. Um, what's on offer here is total freedom. Total freedom. Sounds so simple. Step one, two, three, sorted, right? The problem is, in order to go on this journey, we have to be willing to be vulnerable. We have to be vulnerable with God, and we have to be vulnerable with our friends, with one another. And that's the tough part. That is uncomfortable. It's especially uncomfortable for men because we don't cry. We have to be tough. We've got to man up, harden up, chop a reed. You, you know all the, all the sayings. <laughs> Don't Google chop a reed. It's a little bit more <laughs> explicit than what I just mentioned. But you get the picture. We get sent these messages. You've got to be hard. You've got to be tough. Cowboys don't cry, you know, especially for men. I know it's difficult for everyone, but, but especially for men. Um, and I don't know exactly what this looks like in, in your context. Um, and, and make no mistake, I don't like hanging my guts out for, for everyone to see, okay? But there's a woman by the name of Brene Brown. You may have heard of her. Not if you've heard of her, just so I know. Yeah, amazing woman. She has studied vulnerability, from a scientific point of view. And um, she studied it for many years. And then she did a TEDx talk about a few years ago, and it went completely viral, like millions and millions of YouTube views on this. And she, she's now written books, and she continues to talk and teach people around this. Um, Google her. She's got there lots of YouTube clips. She's, she's really amazing in this space of vulnerability and everything that's sort of linked to it. Um, and she states that the reason why we find vulnerability so difficult is because vulnerability is, is a guard. It's like a, it's a guard. Our, our, our inability to be vulnerable is a guard at the door of all our negative, dark emotions. Fear, shame, grief, disappointment, uncertainty. We don't want to feel those things because they're horrible. They, they're dark and they're nasty. We've got to be tough, you know, so we push them down. We don't want to be vulnerable because it brings them up. We have to face them. We have to deal with them. So, so what do we do is we, we numb ourselves. We numb ourselves. Um, we, we numb ourselves with drugs, with alcohol, with busyness, with social media, with work. Like there's a whole bunch of things. We are so busy. We're like too busy to actually think about our problems. The problem is that while vulnerability might be at the center of all these negative emotions, these, these not so nice emotions, emotions, vulnerability, and Brené Brown has proven this with science, with statistics, vulnerability is also the birthplace of joy, love, belonging, and empathy. And the problem is, we can't selectively numb our emotions, she's found. We can't selectively numb them. We can't push down fear and shame, but experience joy. It's impossible. It's, it's, it's like a, a law of God. <laughs> Doesn't work. So basically what I read into this is that we shy away from vulnerability at our expense, really. 
the expense of meaningful friendships that go beyond a beer and watching the rugby. Not that I don't, I, I like that, <laughs> but there's more. There's more to friendship than that. The expense of allowing Jesus and the power of the gospel into the areas of our lives where we need healing and freedom. The expense of experiencing true, true joy and love and belonging, not chemically induced joy and love. The expense of becoming our true self, the person God created us to be. Vulnerability is potentially the thing standing in the way of our God-given destiny. Maybe. By the way, faith is vulnerable. Trust is vulnerable. Admitting you are a sinner and that you fall short of the glory of God and that you miss the mark is vulnerable. So Brene Brown has proven through research what the Bible has actually been telling us all along. When we are vulnerable about our shortfalls, our fear, our shame, we allow the power of the gospel to heal us. We open the floodgates of heaven for joy, love, and belonging. Vulnerability, I would argue, is at the very core of what it means to be a Christian. One Samuel 18. I want to read from one Samuel 18 because this touches on the relationship, the friendship between David and Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son. Saul didn't really like David. He was jealous of him because David was anointed by God and did wonderful things. But this just describes a um, a. a an, an aspect of, of friendship that I think is relevant to this vulnerability topic. Reading from verse 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. When I read that, I saw a picture of someone completely disarming themselves, of, of almost in effect coming, becoming naked, taking off his clothes, taking off the thing that he uses to protect himself. And that's vulnerability. Vulnerability is saying, here I am. And we get to respond by loving people through that. And that is at the core of good, healthy friendships. I'm going to invite my beautiful wife up now because she has an amazing testimony to share with us that is going to put the nail in this one. Thank you, babe. That was excellent. And you've become even funnier, by the way. Funnier and funnier. Glory to glory. Um, yeah, I just wanted to share something with you because when I was talking to Brett and he was bouncing some ideas around about friendship, I said to him, sure, I really feel like I experienced what you were talking about. And he said, well, rather than me relay the story, won't you come up and share it? So as many of you know, I've shared already my testimony about losing my mom at the beginning of the year and th that incident and all the, the lead up to her being ill and dying really, it really threw me into despair 
discouragement, anger, a whole load of emotions. And I ended up really not being my best self. That's being very kind. I really was, uh, it was quite a bit of a mess. And in my messy state, I had the privilege of having friends walk alongside me. And they were friends who, because they were so deeply rooted in God, and they were getting their love and identity from God, even though I wasn't my best self, they were able to love me through it. And I actually mentioned to one friend the other day, I said, it was so healing for me to be loved in my mess. Because so often I think we believe the lie that only if we are X, Y, and Z, like Brett said, only if we present our best self, then we'll be loved. So when you present your worst self and you're still loved, there's something that's beautifully healing about that. So I just wanted to share that testimony of um, the privilege of walking alongside friends who can love you when you're not your best self. And on that, again, having gone away to the Women's Weekend and having had sort of journey, this, 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 um, this, this realization that even if I'm not perfect, I'm not all my best self, I'm still loved, I was able to go into a deeper level of vulnerability where God was able to go in and free me even more due to that gateway of vulnerability. I know it's petrifying. It was the last thing I wanted to do, but I can really attest to the fact that it's brought me such a level of joy and freedom. And I'm very grateful for each one of you who has journeyed with me in my mess. Thank you. Thank you. Power couple holdings, aren't they? Um, I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts. What we're actually going to do is um, have a time of communion in a moment, and we're going to ask you all to come to the front chair and take communion. You can stand in groups or friendships or couples or whatever works for you. But um, And then we'd love to pray for anybody who this has resonated with, and you, you're kind of going, sure, I either want to learn to be a better friend or I want to know how to open myself up to have this kind of iron sharpened iron friendship. But we really would love to pray with you. If this has caused some level of pain, let us pray for you. Um, we, we're here on a journey together. Um, and I think I just wanted to share a part of a dream that I had the other night because just this morning I went, oh gosh, I think that that dream was actually for today. Um, and it's a very strange dream, and I don't, I don't want you to psychoanalyze what I'm saying, but you know, dreams are strange, and, and yeah, but I'm, I'm being brave by sharing this. Um, in this dream, there was a whole lot to it, but at one point, this snake was coming towards me, and I'm not great with snakes. I was not happy to see the snake coming. But there was a strange piece about it. Um, and I, but I was kind of going, just don't come. And it would kind of go away. And then it came back. And the next thing I knew, because I was kind of on the floor, um, like kind of with one leg up. And the next thing, the snake had actually like kind of curled itself lovingly around my hand. And um, it was like comfortable and gentle and intimate. And... Um, and I wasn't afraid, and I was kind of annoyed because I'd been on the phone to my brother, and I was like, I wish he could have seen this. Like, he wouldn't believe this. Anyway, uh, I felt quite strongly this morning that it was a, a picture for us of friendship, actually, that it can look like this thing that's coming. It could zap us. It could hurt us. It could be unpredictable. Um, but actually, when we, we step past our fear and we really allow that thing to come, it can be such an incredible gift, and it can take us into something that's really beautiful and kind and loving. And so I know it's, like I said, it's a very strange picture, but I, I felt quite convicted that I could share this with you to say, for some of you, through disappointment and letdown, a friendship can look like something that's going to be bad and injure you and snap and bite. But God doesn't want to let you stay there. There is healing in this place. I know that there is. So... We're going to come up for communion, and then please just hang around. Come find myself, the holdings, 
Charles, um, Leah, I'm zapping you. <laughs> um, in any, yeah, just you can find someone that you know will pray for you. But um, when we when we are looking into these things, I want us to always start with with Jesus because the the risk could be here that we think friendships are going to resolve everything. They aren't. It starts with Jesus being our friend. Uh, with us finding all of the needs that we would have, would have for friendship in God, because that's what allows us to be a free friend, um, to go every relationship that I have is a bonus on top of what God has already given me. So all of our acceptance, our significance, everything is found in Him, and then we get to have these bonuses, these incredible people around us in these friendships. So um, to look at Jesus, I just wanted to share this from John fifteen thirteen. It says, "No great, uh, sorry, greater love." has no one then this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And Jesus did that for us. He did that for us. And this is the place we're taking communion from today. To just remember as you stand there together that he died for us. He had his body broken for us. And so we take that bread and we remember what he did to invite us into something new, into a new season, into many new seasons as we journey. And his blood, the blood of a new covenant, and the new covenant is all about his love and our love out. Our love towards him and from him and our love out towards others and being able to receive love from others. So um, thank you again to Brett and, and Terry and John. Yes. Awesome. John's going to come up and sing a song. Thank you, John. Um, would you guys please just come forward, take communion with a friend, with a, a group, um, just, just take the bread and the wine and, and say a prayer that you need to say and, and Come and find one of us if you'd like prayer into this area. Um, and just as John starts, just to say, um, I know that for myself, I had to really find healing in the area of rejection with God because I was just having over ongoing pain in friendship because I just was so wounded by rejection in my life story that I was almost positioning myself in every friendship to invite that thing. It's like you're almost waiting for it. And, um, and finding healing in God, just going how utterly and completely accepted I was in Him, that rejection just had no space anymore. And um, God, God has that for each of you. Whatever it is, don't walk out of here today without asking for healing.